Back to the discipleship groups for a moment and the relevance of that. D4 pathway groups have been a vision of mine and Pastor Mike's for a while. And Pastor Mike really caught fire with this uh, in the last few months. And, and because 2020 exposed for us, not just at First Baptist Church and not just as leaders, but for all of us across uh, the spectrum of American Christianity, that we need to go back to discipleship. We need to be discipled by those who have been discipled, who will in turn disciple others, just as the Bible says. So D4 pathway groups are a, a very personal, relational way for you to get plugged in to being discipled. It's not a program. It's a discipleship relationship. It's about being a follower of Christ Walking together and doing life together as followers of Christ. It's not a replacement for our Wednesday night disciple life ministry. When that returns, that will return, and the D4 groups will continue. So, so why does this matter so much? Well, as already mentioned, we we we've seen in this year of suspension uh, that we need to deepen our discipleship. We need to live as believers. We need to. Uh, walk with Christ more faithfully because we've been impacted in so many ways by what's happened since uh, in 2020, since the pandemic began, through the elections, all these tumultuous things that have happened. And those kinds of things, not not just in, in culture and in public, but in your personal life, that's what exposes your walk with Christ, the depth of your walk with Christ, the strength of your walk with Christ, the maturity of your walk with Christ is exposed in those moments when things don't go your way, when people disagree with you, when you have to stand up for your faith uh, against a ridicule or pressure or strife, that's when it really shows your walk with Christ. So we want to, together, walk more deeply with Christ. But also, in our culture, there are movements pressing against Christians and Christianity. And I find more and more that a lot of us are not aware of these movements. A lot of us are not aware of the false teaching that is circulating in our culture and being adopted by many Christians uh, just because they don't know better. And the reason they don't know better is because they haven't been discipled and haven't grown in God's Word and don't recognize false teaching. I'll give you a couple of examples of why this is so necessary uh, in our culture and in Christianity, why it's necessary that we deepen our walk with Christ and, and being discipled and being a disciple is so significant and so important. Two things happened this week. Uh, one was that uh, a, a writer, Paul C. Maxwell, who's a, a well-known blogger for uh, John Piper's Desiring God website and across evangelical Christianity, he's been very well-known, very popular blogger, and blogs a lot about faith, the Bible, men, and trauma. He has thousands of readers and has for quite a long time. He announced at the end of this past week that he's no longer a Christian. He has the pedigree of every conservative theologian you can imagine. He is uh, from the best Christian schools. He served and worked for one of the best conservative biblical Christian publishers and written for these websites now for years and said simply, I'm no longer a Christian. He didn't give a reason for it, and I searched for it on the Internet, and most of his social media accounts have been closed and probably will be reopened at some point. No real explanation for it. But it begs the question for all of us, how is it that someone so well-schooled, so well-taught, 
and who teaches others can suddenly decide, well, I'm not a Christian anymore. He didn't say, but I could speculate from some of the things he said. Because some of the things he said were catchphrases for our culture and what is happening in our culture called progressive Christianity. It's a version of Christianity in which people look into their faith and decide they no longer want to believe the Bible. They, they, they want to step away from Christianity. They want to deconstruct, they say, their faith and then build it back into a version that they're comfortable with. The reason I would apply this to him, even though he didn't say it out loud, is because he used some of those catchphrases, like, I'm in the best place I've ever been. I'm happier than I've ever been now that I've said I'm not a Christian. I'm not angry about Christianity or people anymore now that i said I'm not a Christian. Some are not nearly as ambivalent about that. The religion writer, a columnist for the Brunswick Beacon, our local paper, published a column this past week in which she quoted and referenced two particular authors, Richard Rohr and Brian McLaren. Now, if you read her column, you may have gotten a good bit out of it. It was a very personal column. She didn't quote the Bible or anything like that, but she did reference Rohr and McLaurin a couple of times directly. Again, what you may not know is that Brian McLaren and Richard Rohr are flagship voices for progressive Christianity. They explicitly renounce biblical authority. They renounce what the Bible teaches about hell, about uh, judgment, about sin, about the virgin birth of Christ, about the creation account, and yet they say you can destruct, you construct those things and you, you can come back and build your own Christianity. This movement of progressive Christianity is highly influential in our culture and high-profile people uh, from singers with Hillsong to Joshua Harris, the, the famous author, many others have gotten involved in this movement and have renounced their Christianity only to say, I'm stepping away, I don't believe what I used to, I might be back at some point. And for all of them, the most typical symptom of their stepping away from the faith is that they renounce what the Bible teaches. They renounce the authority of Scripture. That's where it starts. All the more reason that you need to see that. You need to know that when you see it. And you and I need to be deep in our walk with Christ. We need to understand why we believe the Bible, what we believe, and how to apply it to our lives. That's what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about growing in your faith and recognizing false teaching when you see it. This morning we're going to return to our series in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, pick it up and find with me the Gospel of John and chapter 6. Today and in next week's installment, as we round the bend and wrap up this series, we are going to focus on what it means to be a disciple. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Bob planned that for the launch of the D4 Pathway groups. No, God planned it that way. Actually, I had no idea that these two parts would fall. We would be concluding the series at the same time we were launching these groups until Pastor Mike came together. He and I came together over the course of a few weeks and saw how things were falling into place. So this week, next week, we'll be closing out this series. Then we're going to spend a couple of Sundays just talking about refreshing ourselves in discipleship, what it means to follow Christ. But first, as we wrap up John chapter 6, we're going to see that God reveals for us first 
what counterfeit disciples look like, and then next week, what authentic disciples look like. This out of Jesus' own words. What people who call themselves disciples who are not disciples look like, and what those who are authentic disciples look like. We'll look at that next week. So this morning, look with me again at John chapter 6 and find there verse 60. Verse 60, you haven't been with us in this short series. I want to just bring you up to speed. Uh, this It's at the end of a very long conversation Jesus has had with a group of people that have followed him across the Sea of Galilee to a place called Capernaum. And they were motivated to follow him because he fed the 5,000, that is 5,000 men and their families. He fed them miraculously. They woke up the next morning and he and his apostles had traveled to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They were so excited because they recognized that Jesus might be the Messiah. They might be the one he was looking for. He had fed them and they would, they would like it very much if he would feed them again. Their focus is on the physical, but still they want to know more about Jesus. So they all load up and they travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to meet him there. And we've been investing ourselves in the lengthy and winding conversation where Jesus strives to clear up confusion about himself, who he is. They ask him a series of questions. And for each question, he keeps returning to the very basic fact that he is God's one and only son. And to have eternal life, you must believe in him. There are no other options. And if you're looking for any, anything else from God, such as uh, material blessings, physical blessings, God will take care of you, but that's not how you receive eternal life. You receive eternal life by putting your faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Remember, this is very early in Jesus' ministry. And people are confused about who he is, especially when he doesn't talk the way they thought he would talk or do the things they thought he would do if he were the Messiah. But he clarifies who he is and he clears up the confusion. Let's pick up in John chapter 6 and verse 60. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, now let me pause there, what did they hear? They heard Jesus teaching that you must invest yourself in him to be saved. To have eternal life, you must trust Christ. And he uses an illustration of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You must be so consumed by him and let him consume you. If you truly want eternal life, he is the only way to have eternal life. So now we say, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked ask them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. Verse 65. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. I want you to look at verse 66 again. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. John explicitly uses the term disciples. Now, when you and I think of disciples, we think of followers of Christ. We think of people who have committed to follow Christ. The term disciple literally means learner. Or pupil, it's someone who learns from another. In our day and time, 
We would call it a mentor relationship. And our culture knows these relationships are healthy and it's how we learn our business. It's how we learn our religion and our faith. It's, it's the best way to learn to be a good parent is to be mentored by other parents. You get the idea. A disciple would be a follower of Christ, a pupil, a learner. To underscore this, John uses terminology that only applies to disciples, people who have chosen Jesus and, and to follow Jesus. And he says they no longer accompanied him. The phrase means no longer walked aside, walked alongside him, uh, no longer walked with him. And that's, again, the terminology of a disciple. A disciple walks with their teacher, walks with their mentor through life. It's both literal and a metaphor. They walk together through life. So here's a large group of people who previously called themselves disciples of Jesus, followers, pupils of Jesus, who now decided to turn back and no longer walk with Christ. We'll see next week they are distinguished from the 12 apostles. We often call the apostles the disciples, but the Bible refers to them as either the apostles or simply the 12, because they were the inner circle of Christ and Christ chose them to follow him. But here in this time period, as Jesus is early in his ministry, large groups of people will listen to him teach and make a decision. Will I follow him as my teacher? Will I be his disciple? So here's a group of people that have spent the whole day listening to Jesus teach about who he is and about eternal life and using the illustration, you must eat my flesh to fully be a follower of Christ. You must fully devote yourself to him. And they have decided, no, I will not follow him. This sounds odd to us. Why would those people be referred to as disciples? Because until that moment, by outward appearance, they seemed to be following Christ. Until that moment, by outward appearance, by everything their friends knew, everything their family knew, they had decided to learn from Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to follow Christ. Now they decided not to. Next week, we will consider what it means to be an authentic disciple. This morning, we're going to focus on counterfeit disciples. That's what I'm calling them, counterfeit disciples, and how to recognize a counterfeit disciple, a person who says they follow Christ, and outwardly they appear to, but in their heart of hearts, they choose not to. They simply don't follow Christ. They're not really a disciple. They're a counterfeit disciple of Jesus. A lot of times we find these folks are churchgoers. They're happy to be in church every Sunday, but the next six days of the week, they are not followers of Christ. And typically this kind of person, as we'll see with this group, because this is an age-old motivation for saying that you follow Christ, this kind of person focuses on what they want. It's an easy believism, a feel-good kind of religion. It's the religion that says, this is your best day now. It's rallying around teachers who tell you what you want to hear rather than the hard truth of the Scripture that you need to hear. As we walk through this this morning, let God speak to your heart. Let God speak to your heart. And if God is showing you that your claim to follow Christ is not authentic, is not as authentic as you claim it is. You, 
Maybe you're a churchgoer, but you're looking for that easy believism and you don't want to hear any hard teachings of Scripture. Let God speak to you about that. And recommit your life to Christ, starting over today as a true follower of Christ. Or maybe this is the day to become a follower of Christ. You've never been saved. And you're going to realize that today. And by the end of the hour, I want to encourage you to choose today to truly, truly follow Christ. It's an authority issue. When you follow Christ, does Jesus have the authority to tell you what to do? Does the Bible have the authority to shape your life? It's an authority issue. Jesus identifies this group. Some among you who don't believe. Some gathered here among these disciples are not authentic disciples. They're counterfeits. They they don't believe. Because being a disciple is not showing up. Being a disciple of Jesus is not going to church. It's not doing certain outward things. Being a disciple of Jesus begins with believing in Jesus Christ for your salvation, wholly committing your life and your heart to Christ and to Christ alone for your salvation. You'll also notice that Jesus, go back and read what we've been studying in these few weeks, and you see it this morning, but you'll see it all through, threaded throughout, that Jesus weaves together the intersection between our belief and God's call. And he says it here that some of you don't believe, which shows that the Father hasn't given you to me. And salvation is that interaction. Salvation is both God calling us to faith and us responding in belief. And this morning and next week, we're focusing on that response. And here you'll see that it's a willful refusal to accept the things of Jesus that exposes them as counterfeit disciples. It's a willful refusal to accept the things of Jesus, the words that he says, his lifestyle, what he wants, that exposes them as counterfeit disciples. Go back with me for a moment and let's walk through this. I want you to see with me three ways you can recognize a counterfeit disciple. Someone who says and may appear outwardly to follow Christ, but in their heart of hearts, they're a counterfeit. They're not actually following Jesus and maybe have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And it might be you this morning. Maybe you recognize yourself in this this morning. Jesus always offends people. He does. But he especially offends, eventually, he offends counterfeit disciples. Look at this with me. Three ways to recognize a counterfeit disciple. First, counterfeit disciples refuse to accept what Jesus says. It's the most basic thing we see. They refuse to accept what Jesus says. Together they mumble, and Jesus knows what they're saying, but together they mumble. This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? The term translated hard doesn't mean it's difficult to understand. It means it offends me. No, they understand it. But to them, it's offensive for Jesus to say, You must give up your life and follow Christ if you want eternal life. There is no other way. And everything he said about himself, that he was sent from the Father, that he would be crucified using that illustration, you have to eat his flesh, all these things offend them. They don't like that. And then they say, who can accept 
this teaching. The term translated accept is literally hear. Who can hear this and accept it? They are those people that you start to tell them something true and they say, hey, I don't want to hear that. They, they want to stay locked away in their fantasy, but they definitely don't want to uh, have to confront the truth. Hey, hey no, I, I don't want to hear that. Many years ago, our church made a decision to no longer host the, the fundraising breakfast for the Boy Scouts of America. The, fund, the, the local chapter of the Boy Scouts of America for a while had their fundraising breakfast here. But then they made a decision, the Boy Scouts of America made a decision to permit homosexuals to act as leaders in the Boy Scouts of America, which conflicted with our values as an evangelical Bible-believing church. So as a church, we respectfully declined. We, we wrote them a letter. I wrote them a letter and said, respectfully, we will no longer host the breakfast for the Boy Scouts of America. And incidentally, I received back a handwritten note from one of the scout leaders in Wilmington thanking him for our stand. What was interesting was, not long after that, a gentleman came to see me, sat in my office, and vehemently disagreed with the church's decision. And the reason he disagreed, he said, was because it was an unloving and unkind decision that we were saying we did not love the Boy Scouts of America. And I said, no, it's a moral decision. And as a church, we have values, and we stand by those biblical values. And I said, let me show you what the Bible says. And he literally put his hand up and said, I don't want to hear that. I just know how I feel. And that's the last time I saw him. The people Jesus is talking to and talking about and the people responding to Christ, that's how they're responding. Suddenly the Bible gets in the way of how you feel, of your opinion. And the Bible starts to tell you, Jesus starts to tell you what's right, and you say, I don't want to hear that. It conflicts with what I want to believe, how I want to feel, and what I already think. See, the whole point of God's Word and how the Holy Spirit uses God's Word in your life is to make you more like Christ, to shape you, and to do that to expose those things you believe that God doesn't agree with. And once he exposes those things, you have a choice. You can either hear them and accept them, or you can say, I don't want to hear that. An authentic disciple hears and accepts, and God starts to change them. The counterfeit disciple says, I don't want to hear that. The counterfeit disciple refuses to accept what Jesus says. They're offended by it. Don't want any of that. Don't want to hear that. Again, it's an authority issue. When you refuse to hear what Jesus says or what the Bible says, what you're saying is the Bible is not the authority. Jesus is not the authority of my life. God is not the authority of my life. I am. What I say supersedes what the Bible says. How I feel, my opinion, my preferences matter more than what the Bible says. It's an authority issue. At some point, every person is confronted with this and every disciple knows it so well, we learn to let God shape us by his word. But that counterfeit disciple floats along pretty well until they're confronted with hard truth. And then they say no. It's just too uncomfortable. Conflicts with my feelings. Doesn't make me happy. And they turn and they walk away. Look at your heart. Look at your... your let God... 
look at you and, and, and your heart and where you are, where you are with Christ. Are you that kind of person that says, God, shape me by your truth? I, I'm not the authority of my life. You're the Lord of my life. Or are you the kind of person that says, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm a churchgoer. I'm a disciple. But I just don't accept that. I don't think the Bible's right about that. If God shows you that, ask his forgiveness. Let him cleanse you of that. It's time to start over with him. Second, the counterfeit disciple not only refuses to accept what Jesus says, the counterfeit disciple refuses to accept who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Look at verse 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Throughout this conversation, Jesus has consistently reminded them that he is the Son of God. He was sent by God the Father to do the work of the Heavenly Father. And that includes calling people to faith in Christ, calling people to forgiveness, calling people to eternal life. It includes being crucified, resurrected, and then ascending to the Father. And what Jesus is essentially saying, if you're offended by what I say now, you hadn't seen anything yet. If this offends you? Wait till you see me crucified for your sins. God raises me from the grave and I ascend back to be with the Father on high and to serve as judge over all humanity. Oh, you think it offends you now? You haven't seen anything yet. And if this offends you, this is what he means. If this offends you, then I know, I know that you are pushing against the Heavenly Father. And is call, He is calling you. The Holy Spirit's working in your life. But you're pushing against Him because you do not believe that Christ is Lord and your only hope for eternal life. The counterfeit disciple says things like, well, I, I say grace at the table. I, I pray to Jesus all the time. I'm in a Bible study. And we talk about Jesus all the time. But when you dig a little deeper, what the counterfeit disciple means is as long as Jesus does what I want Jesus to do, I'm good with Jesus. He's an ethical teacher. He's a good man. He says good things but doesn't impose anything on my life. As long as he is a religious teacher, I'm okay with that. But then Jesus imposes on us that he's not a religious teacher. He is the Son of God in human flesh come down from heaven, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and will be crucified and raised from the grave, and then ascending to on high because of our sin. And the counterfeit disciple turns away from that. No, that's, that's a little too much. In Jesus' day, the Jews had a bigger problem with it than even than we do today because for the Jews, the Messiah, they were taught, would be a very earthly Messiah. He would feed them. He would do miracles, much of which Jesus does. But their understanding of the Messiah was not that he would be crucified, that he would be a criminal, that he would die for their sins, nothing like that, but that he would save them from the oppressive regime of Rome and from the empire. Very earthly king. But Jesus is saying, I am the king. I'm standing in front of you. But you have to believe in me. Before any of the rest of that will happen. To believe in Christ to set you free from your sin. 
and give you eternal life. The counterfeit disciple refuses to accept who Jesus actually is. That's why that's why they don't believe, and that's why they're not saved. The, the, the counterfeit disciple is not born again in Christ because they've not trusted Christ for eternal life. To trust Christ for eternal life, we must believe that he is God in the flesh, died for our sins, and God raised him from the grave. So first, the counterfeit disciple refuses to believe what Jesus says, refuses to accept it. Second, the counterfeit disciple refuses to accept who Jesus is. Then third, the counterfeit disciple refuses to accept what Jesus gives. What Jesus gives. Now notice all these things go together. Jesus says who he is and says what he does. He backs that up with who he is, that he is God in human flesh and can do all that he claims that he can do. And the number one thing he says that he will do is give eternal life to those who trust in him. But only through Christ can you receive eternal life. Jesus responds to their motivations, their inclination this way. Look at verse 63 again. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some among you who don't believe. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. They came to him because of the flesh. They are motivated by physical things. They're motivated by the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, by food, and they're wanting more of that. Jesus, make us feel good. Jesus, take care of us. Jesus, give us what we want in this life now. And Jesus has been explaining to them and confirms again, the feeding of the 5,000 and all of his miracles are not an end game. They are designed to point to him and who he really is. And it's eternal life in Christ that we need. You can eat all the food, all the bread and fish that you want, but without Christ, you do not have eternal life. Some people push away from the table at this point. We want from God what we want from God. We want God to give us a better job. We want God to give us a better retirement. We want God to fulfill our dreams. We want God to give us better children than our neighbor. We want God to change our relationships. We want God to give us more money. We want God to give us better health. We want God to do all these things for us now. And that's where our focus is. That's where our attention is. And when that's where our focus and attention is, we miss the point. Surely God takes care of us. Yes, God loves us. But that's not God's end game now. God's end game is for you to trust Christ for eternal life. Turn your life over to him. That's when you become a true follower of Christ. And that means you trust Christ for everything else in this life. You trust Christ to take care of you, to take care of your children, your grandchildren. You trust Christ for the crazy world you live in. You trust Christ for your job, your money, your values, everything. You trust Christ for all these things because the starting point is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The counterfeit Christian often gets stuck at earthly things. The counterfeit disciple. Because the counterfeit disciple's motivation is in the here and now. Not in trusting Christ for things to come, but in the here and now. If, that, if you find that that is your focus, if you find God speaking to you and it seems that all your prayers are about, God, give me this. God, 
help me with this. God, I want you to take care of this for me. God might be speaking to you about your discipleship. An authentic disciple begins with this. I follow Christ no matter what. Jesus Christ has done the one thing no one else could do for me. He's died on the cross for me. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended to the Father. And when I trust Christ as my Savior, He forgives me of my sin and He gives me eternal life. And Christ and Christ alone can do that and will do that for each who believe in Him. Many of us may be hearing this and thinking, well, am I an authentic disciple or am I a counterfeit disciple? Let God search your heart about that. But one thing's for sure, if you're, if you're an authentic disciple, your focus isn't on church going. You don't come to church or participate in church just because it's church. You do it as an expression of your worship to Jesus. You love him so much. How, how could you miss worshiping him with God's people? How could you miss digging into his word? How could you miss being with him day by day? That's how much you love him. It's not your religion. It's your relationship that matters. Last year, so many of our meetings, uh, not only for churches, but for every kind of organization, suddenly were moved to online platforms, including Zoom. And people started getting used to it who weren't used to it. And then I think some people just never really got used to it. For example, Rod Ponton. Rod Ponton is an attorney in Texas. And he was, in fact, this past February, he was called into a hearing Him, Judge Roy Ferguson, and two other attorneys came into a Zoom meeting, a hearing online. And Judge Roy Ferguson called everyone in, and he uh, recognized everyone. But when Mr. Ponton showed up on the screen, it wasn't his face that was there. It was a little gray kitten. Because his assistant had accidentally turned on a filter. So here's Mr. Ponton in the lower right-hand corner saying, I'm so sorry, and and when he speaks, the kitten's mouth moves, and when he turns his head, the kitten's head turns, and and Judge Roy Ferguson is being as kind and patient as he can, saying things like, pretty sure you have a filter on. Maybe you guys can get that filter turned off. And you can hear Mr. Ponton saying, Judge, we're doing our best. My assistant's here. We're trying to get this turned off. And in the course of this frustrating and chaotic moment with this little kitten online in a legal hearing on Zoom, You hear Mr. Ponton say, and you watch the kitten's mouth move and mouth the words, I promise I am live. I'm not a cat. The judge knows our true identity. On the outside, you may think you're fooling everybody else. Sailing along, going to church doing religious things. But I promise you, you're not fooling God. He knows your true identity. He knows those who have trusted Him for eternal life. And He knows those who have not. Even if they're churchgoers, He knows who we are. I'm going to pray for us this morning. First, we're going to praise God for His salvation. That means more than anything. For whatever else we go through in this life, we know that Christ is with us in all that we go to. We go through and we praise Him for our eternal life, for those who have trusted Him as their Savior. Then we're going to ask God 
to show us if we are not authentic disciples, to show us if we are churchgoers just going through the motion, to show us if when hard truth comes, we put up our hand and say, I don't want to hear that. That God would show us that, that we would ask God's forgiveness. That we would start over with him today. And I'm going to ask God to show us if we're not saved, if we're not born again in Christ. We might be religious. We might be the most religious person in the room or in our family. But we've never been born again in Christ because we haven't repented of our sins and fully trusted Christ as our Lord and our Savior. To trust him simply means to rely on him and nothing else to forgive you and to save you. So I'm going to pray for us in that. And I'm going to pray for those that have never trusted Christ and with you who have never trusted Christ, that you would put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we pause at this moment, first, God, we praise you, God, and we thank you. We thank you, God, that your promise is true, that if we trust Christ, and when we trusted Christ and Christ alone for eternal life, that you saved us, you cleansed us, you forgave us, and you walk with us now day by day. So, Father, I pray you would show us that we are authentic disciples, that we're born again in Christ. And we praise you and we thank you, God, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you never let us go. It's always Jesus walking with us and in our lives. And Father, I pray, God, also that you would show us, you would, you would expose the condition of our heart and the truth of our discipleship. You would show us, Father, if we are not authentic disciples, if we're counterfeits, God. Maybe we're churchgoers. Maybe we're religious. Maybe we just realized today, Father, there's a difference. And I pray for us, God, today would be the day that we turn our lives completely over to Christ, that we become authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, committing our lives to Christ today. Maybe we just need to start over. Maybe we've let the ways of the world and our, our obsession with earthly things and physical things, maybe we've let that take over our, our lives and our, and our walk with Christ. And maybe we find ourselves asking you all the time, give us this, give us that. God, forgive us for that. And Father, I pray we would start over with you in a fresh walk with Christ today. And Father, with those who today would say, I, I know that I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, and today I want to do that. I want to have eternal life in Christ. So with them today, I pray this prayer, God, and I pray each one who's listening in-house or online, who today realizes their sin and realizes they need to trust Christ, that they would do that in this prayer today, putting their faith and trust in Christ alone. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. And Jesus, I, I have not been an authentic disciple. I've been going to church. Or maybe I've never gone to church. But now I know it's about you. So Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me in my place. And I believe that you're alive today. You've risen from the grave. So Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Jesus, I ask you in faith, please forgive me of my sins. And give me a home in heaven. And Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn away from that sin, that old life, to follow Christ today and forever. Lord Jesus, for everyone who has prayed these prayers this morning, God, I pray our commitment would be fresh today. And especially to those who, for the first time, prayed to trust Christ as their Savior. Let this be the day that everything is new. They are born again in Christ. 
as they start their new life in Christ. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.